Good morning, everyone. We are in the book of Philippians, and the theme is Joy Inside. And today's title is Standing Together as One. Standing Together as One. What an appropriate title, especially for our current circumstances. You know, how can we stand together as one when there's so much going on in this world, when there's so many challenges? Three months ago, we didn't know that we would be isolated, that we would feel so disunified, that we would feel so separate and, 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 and far from one another, far from relationships. And even the relationships within our home, we felt the tension. We felt the tension financially. We felt the tension relationally. We felt the tension emotionally. It's these days that we need unity. We need unity more than ever before. And as we knew, as we know, just two weeks ago, there was a, the tragic loss of George Floyd, that he was murdered. This is something that the world came to see, the U.S. came to see, and, 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 and with, the, with the lens of uh, justice, we need to have justice. And they're rightly so, because there are many people who live in fear. There's social and racial inequality, prejudice, discrimination. You see, we live in a world right now that is in dire need of the gospel. We live in a world right now that is in dire need to see Christians unified, to see Christians come out with the truth of God's word. We need unity. Paul wanted the Philippian church to have unity in the midst of challenging times. So therefore, more than ever before, we need to have unity because we live in challenging times. And the three points I want to bring to you today are three areas of unity that we find in this text. The first is we need unity of purpose, unity of purpose. So in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles turned with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul uses the word only here. It's emphatic. It's only, it's, it's literally only. Paul wants the people to know, the church, at, uh, the church at Philippi to know that the very important thing that they should focus on is the purpose of their life. The purpose of their life is to live this life for the gospel. That's why it says there, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is absolutely important. The word here, the phrase here, manner of life, could also be translated conduct, which, in, which also entails in the original language the conduct that has heaven in mind, a conduct that has the heavenly kingdom in mind. You are a citizen of heaven. If you have faith in Jesus today, if you trust in Christ today, you are a citizen of heaven today. So therefore live like that. 
And even though we live in a world where there's so much, uh, so much chaos and so many challenges, we can still live with confidence because we are citizens of heaven. This world is not our home. We can live for the things of heaven. What does that mean? Well, how you get to heaven is, is, is by putting your faith and trust in the one who is provided that way. And that is Jesus Christ himself, the very son of God, the God man, the one who came down and gave his life for you and for me. And that's why the text says there, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. In other passages, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Colossians 1, verse 10, and 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, it speaks of walking in a manner worthy of God or worthy of the Lord. This is the general idea of what it means to glorify God in your daily life, in the way that you live, the way that you behave. But in this text, we have to we 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 know that um, Paul is actually talking about something much more specific. It's talk. He is talking about the advancement of the gospel. He's talking about presenting this gospel to other people. He's saying, "Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel that you are preaching." And he says, then, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's concerned of them, about them. Are they standing firm? Are they unified? Do they have one spirit, which is one desire? Do they have one mind, which do they have the same attitude? Are they striving side by side? Are they, are they attacking in the same way? Are they, are they striving or are they warring against the same things? I remember uh, back in the building, Pastor Ted and I would used to go for walks before uh, the, uh, the work day. We would walk from one end to the other end, back and forth, and pray. And he uh, really taught me how to be thankful each morning. He taught me uh, to, to pray for 10 things, pray, pray uh, uh, for 10, uh, sorry, um, give thanks for 10 things. And, um, and so we would walk back and forth until we were finished. And uh, so Pastor Ted, know, you know that he's much taller than me. And, uh, and there are times when he was walking at a very fast pace, not knowing that I was drifting behind a little bit, and sometimes I would have to literally do a little tiny bit of a jog while he was walking. And then he would tell me, hey, Andrew, like, do you want me to slow down? And, and I'm like, no, it's okay. You know, I wanted to keep up with him. I didn't want to go ahead of him. I didn't want to be behind him. I wanted to keep, I wanted to be by his side. And this is the very same thing, right? And just to let you know, I was not only walking side by side with him physically, I was walking side by side with him spiritually. We were praying for the church. We were praying for one another. We were giving thanks to God. 
And how much more today we need to do the same thing. We need to strive side by side in prayer. We need to pray for George Lloyd's family. We need to pray for those in the States. We need to pray that these riots uh, cease. We need to pray that God would do a miracle and God would revive the church in America and in Canada, that God would bring up more people so that they will come to know Jesus. We need to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's unique, right? Here in this text, it says for the faith of the gospel. It doesn't say strive side by side uh, for, for somehow a, a change in your life, although those are good things, uh, to, uh, to live a better life or to live a better Christian life. It, was, it actually just says side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul's intention was to let the Philippian church know what is most important. And what is most important is to share the gospel with other people in a winsome way, in a way that would allow them to see the truth and the hope that it is in you. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the, 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 the salvation that we don't deserve. That's what the world needs to see. And that's what we need to be unified in. In verse 28, verse 28, it says this, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them for their destruction, but of your salvation and that of God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Here in these two verses, Paul is qualifying uh, the very purpose statement in verse 27. The very purpose is for us to share the gospel, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, which means we are standing firm as one. We are striving side by side to share this good news of the gospel in the midst of challenging times. But there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be opponents. And we might feel frightened at times. We might feel uh, overwhelmed. We might feel the, the, um, the difficulty, uh, the, the challenges are overwhelming. We might feel that other people are pushing us and, and pressing us down. And this was very much the case in Paul's day and the church of Philippi. In fact, if you look at chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul addresses uh, the Judaizers. He addresses those people who, who, said, who says, you know what, you need to be circumcised. You need to have these ceremonial laws in place in order to be a true Christian. And Paul there says, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Jew of a Jew. I, I, I have... I have uh, I have all the experience of what it means to be a devout Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. He knew the law inside out. And yet, when he met Jesus, all those things didn't matter. And Paul had opponents. And he, was also, he also knew that uh, the church at Philippi had spiritual opponents as well. I want you to remember the past couple of weeks when we talked a little bit, when Pastor Ted talked a little bit about Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were in prison, were thrown into prison. And uh, 
And, and they were in prison for, uh, for a while and, and they were still singing songs and praising God in the midst of all that was going on. And let me tell you, they were suffering. They were suffering. It was, in, it was, it was unjust for them to be in prison. They were thrown in prison, but they still praised God. So in the midst of their suffering, they wanted to see God glorified. So they praised him, they thanked him, they sang songs. And what happened, and they prayed. And what happened later, uh, their shackles broke, there was an earthquake, and the doors of the prison doors opened. And the Philippian jailer was so afraid that he wanted to kill himself because he was like, oh, I can't imagine what other people might think now that everybody is, now that all the people in jail are gone. But Paul goes to the Philippian jailer and he says, don't do this. And he tells them the gospel and he shares the gospel with this family. And he and his household, the Philippian jailer and his household, were all saved. You see, in the midst of suffering, there is a good result. In the midst of suffering for the sake of the gospel, in the midst of suffering for the sake of the gospel, we can see the power of God go through. Throughout history, there needed to be suffering in order for God to work. You know why? It's because Jesus Christ himself demonstrated this on the cross. He suffered for our sake. He gave his life for us so that we might have eternal life. The very goodness of God is displayed on the cross because of his mercy, because of his justice, because of what he has done for us. And so therefore, we have every desire to live this way. We have a desire to be like Jesus, to follow in his footsteps. So that's why verse 29 says, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Church, we need to rise up and pray for revival. We need to pursue the purposes of God together. We cannot let Satan suppress us. We cannot let the worldly uh, ways or the manifestations of the world's path and purposes get in our way. We need to rise up and be unified in our efforts to proclaim the gospel. We need to stand firm in one mind and one spirit, having the same love, having the same peace, having the same mind of humility. We need to take the gospel of Jesus to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our colleagues, to the grocer, to the pharmacist. We need to tell them the good news of Jesus now. And even though there is suffering, even though there is rejection, brothers and sisters, what a privilege it is to stand side by side together, striving for the faith of the gospel. We need to be unified. We need to have unity of purpose. And the second is this. We need unity of love. We need unity of love. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Paul here kind of says, 
listen, if you've experienced these uh, joys, if you've experienced the encouragement in Christ, if you've experienced the comfort of his love, and by the way, the word if can also be translated since, because um, Paul here is really saying, believer, hey, if you are truly in Christ, you will have encouragement from him. You will have comfort from his love. You will have a participation, which is um, another word for uh, uh, fellowship. Fellowship in the Spirit. You will have communion with the Holy Spirit. And then the last is affection and sympathy. And the Greek word actually is two words um, sealed together. And the word really means compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. You will have this in your life. So if you have encouragement in Christ... Paul says, any comfort from his love and our love towards other people, any participation in the spirit, any compassionate heart. If you have these things, he then goes on to say, make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. Or complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The word mind here, it's interesting. The same mind, it's it's not talking about having the same opinions or having the same thoughts or having, it's not talking about uh, being robots here or, or, uh, or being uniform in everything that you say and do. It's about unity. It's about having the same attitude of your heart. The attitude is, is, is that of Jesus Christ as, as, as it, it displays in chapter 2, verse 5 and onward. That, that he was humble before us. He gave his life. He didn't want to, uh, for us to serve him, but he served us. This is the reality of the gospel. If Jesus Christ came as a proud man, he wouldn't do what he, he did. He, he wouldn't accomplish what he, he did. He wouldn't go to the cross. He wouldn't give up his time. He wouldn't heal people. He wouldn't, he wouldn't go to the poor. He wouldn't go to those who are oppressed. He would stay on his high kingly estate, but he was born in a manger. And that's the reality of a humble heart is when you look at Jesus and you look at his humility and you look at the cross, you begin to see a reflection of God's heart. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I want to live that way. I want to live away in such a, in a humble way before God. So we should be of the same mind, the same love. We should be together in this. It is because of the humility of Christ that we have the love of Christ. Jesus was humble. And that's why he showed us his love. We must stand together in that, unified in that fact that we are loved by Christ. Be encouraged, brother and sisters. We are loved by Jesus. We are comforted by that love. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we have this compassion uh, compassion and, 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 uh, and, and affection for other people. I pray that the Lord would give us these things, that we would be unified in these things. 
that we wouldn't shy away, especially during these challenging times. Not only should we have unity of purpose and unity of love, but finally unity of attitude. Unity of attitude. When I was young, I used to uh, get into a lot of trouble and my dad would actually say to me, uh, Andrew, watch your attitude. Watch your attitude. And every time he said that, I, I, it was hard for me because I was like, well, who are you to judge my attitude? Like, I am, I think I'm justified in, in the way I'm acting and my attitude right now. But my dad was actually teaching me one thing. He, was, he taught me many things. Uh, but he's teaching me that attitude matters. The attitude of my mind, the attitude of my heart, the attitude towards other people. And the Bible is very clear here. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. The word here, humility, you can circle that word. That is the attitude, that should be the attitude of our life. There's... Uh, an emphatic statement here, or uh, an imperative statement, which is a command, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Let me say this one more time. Do nothing from selfish ambition. It doesn't say do nothing for yourself. It says do nothing from selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is that which says, I am first, you are second. I am first, you are last. My needs first, your needs later. Selfish ambition always puts me in a place above another person. It places me in a, in, in a position of superiority. Listen, that's the reason why we have problems in this world with regard to racism and discrimination and prejudice is because we think we are better than other people. We think that our lives are better than others. We think that we deserve more. But there's nothing further than the truth because we don't deserve anything. We deserve the wrath of God. So why are we boasting? Why are we conceited? Why do we live as if we are the king and queens of this world? Why? It's because of the sinful nature in our hearts. We don't want to lose. We don't want to be number two. You know, um, Ann and I, my wife and I, when we went through peer marital counseling, we had, um, uh, we had to choose a key verse or a theme verse. And, um, and this uh, theme verse came, came, comes in, in, in these two verses, Philippians chapter two, verse three to four. So in my ring, uh, we have engraved Philippians two, verse three to four, A and A, God's grace. I just celebrated my second uh, anniversary just a few days ago. And um, I'm so grateful and thankful to God for bringing my wife into my life. She is beautiful in so many different ways. She is uh, incredible help to me. 
God has gifted me to, uh, gifted her to me. But there are times in, my, in, in our marriage where we find it hard. We find it difficult to put the other person first. And let me tell you, it's, it's, it's one thing to engrave it on your ring. It's one thing to read it on the, in the Bible. It's one thing to, to, to think of it on a daily basis. It's another thing to live it out. There are days when I, I, I think, uh, and my attitude of my heart is not humble, and I, and, I, and I am selfish, and I begin to think, why can't she understand what I'm going through? How come she can't understand that I have lots to do, and I can't take care of certain things in the, in the house at this time? How come she cannot understand what my perspective? How come she can't respect me more? Listen, it's out of selfish ambition that we feel these ways. Husband, do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you leading her with love? Do you care for her in such a way that, that demonstrates the gospel? Wives, do you submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord? Do you recognize that submitting to him is not an obligation but a privilege? That God honors that, God likes that, that God really sees that as good. Do you see that it is at, during these times that God is bringing families together in a home 24-7, almost 24-7, and, 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 and putting us in isolation so that we can grow in gospel living, that we can grow in love, and that we can grow in humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit is basically puffing up of yourself. And as men, we, we so often try to puff up ourselves when we get into an argument or in a situation where we, we don't want to be wrong. So we puff up ourselves and we say, no, I didn't do that. The humble man will say, I'll take responsibility no matter what it takes, no matter what I need to set aside right now. Because husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, do you obey your parents? Because that's a way to love God. That's a way to show that you submit to God is by saying, Dad, Mom, I am going to obey you. I am going to obey you because I love God and I love you. So children, are you doing that? There's so much application in this verse. It says here, see, it doesn't just give us uh, the, the uh, command not to have selfish ambition or conceit. It gives a solution. The solution is this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourself. I know that uh, when I talk to some older gentlemen who, um, who have been down the road of marriage uh, a lot longer than I have, and they would say, don't worry, Andrew, you'll learn this when you get down the road. And I think to myself, I'm thinking like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I'd like to be. But why do I have to think about you know, getting there in the next 15 years. Why can't I get there right now? And I, and I believe this is, where, uh, this is where this verse speaks very personally to me. It says here, do not, nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit. I need to do that right now. But in humility, I need to have that attitude right now. 
And I need to consider my wife's uh, uh, um, um, opinions and thoughts above my own. I need to do that right now. After two years of marriage, I need to do that now. I don't need, I don't need to wait 15, 20 years to do that. I need to do that right now in my life. God, help me. Humble me, O oh Lord, and help me to humble myself before you. In verse 4, it says here, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we're going to end here. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of other others. You see, Paul doesn't say don't look at all to your own interests. He says don't look, another translation says don't look merely to your own interests. It's kind of funny because Paul kind of mocks uh, us and saying, don't look merely at your own interests. Everyone does that. It's no surprise. No surprise that, 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 that you would look to your own interests. The goal of your life should not merely be looking to your own interests. The goal of your life, the goal of your humility in Christ should be to look at another, pers in, another person's interests, to consider their interests above your own. I remember uh, just about a year ago, uh, I was uh, in the hospital. I actually had some uh, heart palpitations and some uh, difficulty breathing, and I actually thought that there was something wrong uh, in my heart. And uh, so I was, I was uh, with my wife in the hospital, and we were uh, sitting in the, uh, in, the, um, in the ER waiting room. And I still remember in my mind thinking, when am I going to see a doctor? What, like, this is like taking forever. And I remember a, a gentleman sitting next to me, he would make a few joking, uh, you know, some comments, joking around. And, and I kind of felt that was annoying because I was like, hey, like, I, I just want to wait here. I don't want to, I don't need to, like, converse or anything. And then, and then after about a couple hours of waiting, I think the Holy Spirit was moving in my heart saying like, hey, you're here in the hospital to see what's going on in your own heart. But do, do you know that I have here, you here for another purpose? Like, you're just thinking about yourself. What about that guy sitting next to you? Maybe he needs someone to talk to. And as the Holy Spirit continued convicting my heart, I, I, I had to turn around and talk to him. I had to turn around to say, hey, I want to I wanna have this conversation, talk to him about his life. I found out that he uh, um, has been to the hospital four times, and each of those times they still could not find out what was going on, and he had problems with his kidneys, and he's had a long history of health conditions. And... Uh, and, you know, I just found out that he's, he's not a believer and he doesn't have hope. And I was able to share the gospel with him on the spot right there. And after I saw the doctor, I came back out and I saw him uh, still sitting there and I prayed with him. Brothers and sisters, I, I realized that at that, op that moment, I had an opportunity to put another person's interest in mind. I can now serve them. I don't have to just merely think about myself. I can think about another person because it's not wrong to think about myself, to think about what's going on with me. It's wrong when I'm the only one that I think about. 
It's wrong when I'm not willing to look to another person's interest because I need to be served first. Brothers and sisters, look for opportunities to seek and to serve other people's interests. That's how we can be unified as a church. That's how we can be unified together is when we look out for other people's needs. We live in humility toward, before other people. Some of you might ask the question, then, how do I get this humility? How do I get this humility? Well, first and foremost, you have to trust in Jesus. You have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins. You have to believe that he came down to serve us, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You must believe that Jesus came down for the purpose to show us his, his unending love, to show us forgiveness eternal, and to show us a pathway to heaven. He came down to this earth in a manger. Brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to love this way, to love with genuine humility in our hearts, to trust that God is the only way, the only way, he provides us the only way to heaven, that he is the only, he is the only purpose of our life. We need to come together in unity. We need to fasten our hearts to the gospel. So finally, I pray for our church, that our church will be unified in purpose, unified in that love, and then unified in humility. Let us pray. Lord, I pray and thank you, God, for this, this passage. Thank you that it has impacted my life so much. Thank you, Lord, that you have given your life for us in Christ. I pray that our church and, and many churches around us, believers everywhere, will be unified in purpose and unified in love and unified in the attitude of our hearts. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us these things and that you would help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.